This podcast is brought to you by the Minis Forum UM773 Lite, a fantastic little desktop that can be used for excellent office work and even light gaming. Click on the link in the description to help out Moore's Law is Dead and check out that product. Or also check out the other sponsor of this podcast, cdkeyoffer.com, that offers reasonably priced Windows keys, game keys, and gaming accessories as well. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys and DieShrink for 3% off everything else. We'll talk about those sponsors more later, but for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host, Dan. All right. How's it going, Dan? <laughs> Pretty good, I guess. Uh, first day of say light, daylight savings time, so I'm... We'll say lightly that it's the first day of daylight savings time. Yeah. So I'm liking that uh, it's not dark immediately anymore. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to get out of work and it not be nighttime. You usually work pretty late, though, so I'm sure it was extra. It, it, it was it was extra punishing for some of someone like me as well. You know, like I tend to work late. And so there was just like I'd wake up, hopefully get a chance to walk Jesse in the morning if it wasn't raining. And that would be I just say goodbye, son. And mm-hmm. get and get into the office. <laughs> go in, go into your man cave for the rest of the day. Yeah, man, it's my man cave. Of course, it's not a man cave. It is a cave inclusive of all types of people for making <laughs> Moore's Laws dead content, Dan. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. This weekend, it's been. I decided randomly that I'm going to turn the back half of my backyard into a wild flower field like you know i did for half of my front yard when i lived back in peoria mm-hmm. and so uh me and uh emma of course my girlfriend and jesse jesse really didn't help that much um decided to spend hours just tilling land and setting up fencing <laughs> and worked well into the dark uh with Emma just holding up two flashlights while I worked for the last hour because <laughs> she had become exhausted again. Well, Jesse did nothing but pick up random sticks and throw them around the yard. Well, that's a pretty useful. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty helpful, I think, though. Yeah. Also, really, the funniest thing I think of that ordeal was, you know, as I said near the end of the last Broken Silicon episode with Brian Hamskirk, a like one hundred foot tree fell through my yard the other day. Uh, that's been cleaned up. Uh, for the most part, but there's still like these like lingering dead branches hanging off of other trees. And like one of them is like <laughs> really attached to the other tree, but it's dead and it will fall eventually. So I was like trying to grab it and like swing it over the fence so that it would at least hang on the other end of my fence so that when it finally falls, it like falls into like a ravine or something instead of in my yard or in my garden. And Jesse freaked out. Like just started because it was obvious to me that when she saw those giant 30, like my dog loves chewing on sticks, those 30 foot branches waiting to fall down. 
that she was banking on in a month, <laughs> them finally falling down and her getting to drag around an entire branch. And Emma had to hold Jesse back as she barked at me angrily while I pushed the branch over the fence. Like, what are you doing? I was going to get to play with that in a month. <laughs> you, you deprived her of her uh, stock of dog toys that were slowly falling into your lawn, Tom. Right, and, and I'm sure like every few days a new part of the branch would like die and fall off into the yard and she was absolutely furious I was getting rid of them. Like <laughs> visibly mad barking at me and like couldn't be consoled. Like I would say no and she just barked back at me. Uh, dogs are interesting creatures, Tom. Very yeah, interesting. I did see a study recently that uh, Belgian Melanois, which Jesse, that would be the plurality of what she is, are supposed to be incredibly smart. But it's just hilarious how smart they can be that they're like, oh, that branch will fall into the yard and I'll get a giant toy to play with, but not smart enough to realize like it's dangerous and there's a hundred other sticks over there and this is not something you should be prioritizing. Well, do dogs can be smart, but they're uh, they're very single-minded. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely still dogs. Yes. Is what it is. You, usually, some dogs act like other animals. Not Jessie. She's the smartest dog I've ever seen that is still really hell bent on just getting bones and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, She's an interesting one. But yeah, we don't have any corrections or. Because we're perfect. Because we, I assume we're perfect. But. Um, or opening reader mails that I wanted to get to here. We have quite a few to read at the end of the show, so I don't want to waste too much time. I'll just say, you know, if you want to submit corrections uh, to things we say or things I say in videos and or, or ask us questions or us, just remember, you can do that if you support us on Patreon. A new extra-long die shrink actually just came out that uh, is basically a bonus Broken Silicon episode where I interview uh, a veteran of Micro Center and talk about how retail works, misconceptions. All that came out last Friday to patrons. So, you know, all that stuff is there trying to get our Patreon numbers up this year uh, so we can afford to put out ad-free video versions of all content uh, to the Patreon, including uh, I'm working on maybe some new types of exclusive content as well. But we can't do it if we hit the next goal. So please support us there if you have the extra 2 or $4 a month. But otherwise, let us tarry no further. Let us get into story number one. Minor RTX 4070 update. Last week on Moore's Laws Dead's Loose Ends live stream, yours truly disclosed a few updates to the much-awaited first of the Lovelace mid-range graphics cards to be released of this generation. In summary, it has been confirmed to me that some models will use 8-pin connectors, suggesting directly the boards aim to be more easily adopted by existing mid-range builds that might not have a Gen 5 connector and also of course that this card will consume around 200 watts of power at most additionally the reduced power consumption would logically correlate to a notably reduced CUDA core count in the 4070 compared to the 4070 Ti to the point that most should probably expect this card not just to be a few percentage points weaker but probably perform closer to like a 3080 12 gigabyte instead of a little better than a 3090 with the 4070 Ti and finally, the release date, I double-checked this before that live stream. Uh, I've seen it in writing. Right now, the plan to launch the 4070 is in April. That hasn't changed from what was leaked a while ago by us. And honestly, looking at NVIDIA having a keynote in a couple weeks at GTC, I would suggest in a couple weeks, that's when they're going to announce yeah. the 4070 for release in April. So yeah, in one month, expect NVIDIA to launch a 200-watt 
3080 gigabyte that, in this writer's opinion, will only be interesting if NVIDIA charges $600 or less for it. If they do, it's an improvement in price performance over last gen. Not much, but it is, and it comes with new features and lower power consumption. But anything over $600, I'm likely to just recommend getting a 16 gigabyte 6950 XT for the same price. All right, so I don't know how much you have to say about this, but any thoughts on the 4070 updates? I mean, not too much. Like the only possible way this card could be interesting, like you said, is if it's six hundred dollars or below, or else this is just you know the continuation of the trend of them releasing cards at the same price performance we were at last generation, or mart. I'm not going to say or negligibly better than what we had last generation, like what we have with the 4070 Ti right now. Yeah, I mean, the 4090s MSRP is sixteen hundred. The 4080s is still 1200, although it seems close to some models going below MSRP in some regions. And the 4070 Ti is 800. They tried to kind of pull an Ampere like fake MSRP thing. That didn't hold. It <laughs> seems to be an $800 yeah. card for the most part, but not selling that well. And what I'm really curious to see with the 4070 is how much they try to toe the line um, in terms of like setting the stage for price drops across the board no price drops or whatever, because you know they've got to be looking at their current sales numbers, which aren't fantastic and going, all right, well, if this thing is, you know, 10 to 20% weaker than a 4070 Ti, we should probably charge $700, maybe 650. But if we charge 600 or less than that, even that's going to look like an insanity, $500, 4070, for example. $800 4070Ti. So I'm curious if they'll do $600, which will set the stage for them possibly dropping pricing on some of their top-end cards by like 20% in the future. Um, or if they do $650, they have kind of done it enough that they have room to drop the price of the other cards or let them drift lower, but they're still not being that aggressive. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do... F- well, I, I, I don't bet that this will happen, but it does kind of almost feel necessary that if uh, if it is like the 4070 is something like $600, the 4070 Ti will almost definitely need some type of price drop because it will just make the 4070 Ti look really stupid to me, especially when you have something like the 7900 XT also drifting down to the price of the 4070 Ti. It's just like, the 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 forty seventy Ti is just becoming a no man's land card that I don't understand why you would get at this point. Well, you know, Mark D zero eight one one writes in and says mm-hmm. the unthinkable has happened. Nvidia's RTX forty eighty is available for under MSRP. That's right. I just saw a Zotac model for one thousand one hundred and ninety eight dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> one whole penny below Jensen's claim of starting at eleven ninety nine. Oh, yes, and the 7900 XT fell below $800. I thought I'd put that Raider mail in now and get to this since we're kind of touching on it already. Like, you brought this up to me the other night. Like, you know, I started talking about the 7900 XT as an $800 card after I saw a couple models hitting $800, but it seems very consistent that a lot of models are hitting $800 right now. It's not just two. You said you saw more than two models a few days ago. I don't know if that's still true now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can check again right now, but like... This doesn't seem to just be like a, a brief sale. I mean, I guess we need to see if, if this holds for like several weeks to, to have a strong conclusion on that. 
But for a few days now, I've been looking on like Amazon, the 7900 mm. XT. Consi- I only checked Newegg today. Okay. The 7900 XT consistently has like four, five, six models at between $800 and $850 at this point. And uh, I think last time I checked, like three of the models that they were selling in the 7900 XT are hitting $800 or within a few bucks, or within like 10 bucks of $800, which. Uh, $810 is $800 in my mind. I would agree. You can round down if it's that low. Yeah. What I don't know, though, is like where exactly the 7900 XT has to be to truly pressure the 4070 Ti, which as far as I can tell is probably selling a bit better than it right now. Yeah. Um, It wasn't at first. That's for true. But it, it seems to be now. Um. Like, I I almost wonder if it has to be lower than it really should be. Like, I think I've always said that the 7900 XT should have just been 750 and called the 7800 XT. And I yeah. think if it would have launched at that price or even $800, people would have said, yeah, I don't know if it's as interesting as the XTX, but it's like 20 five percent less for 20 percent less performance sounds good but now that the reviews the opening reviews for the 7900 xt were so freaking bad i i just can't help but wonder if actually if amd wants to get the ball rolling they have to drop it to 700 dollars to get people to notice yeah uh, there might be some truth to that like because if you're really doing the the value calculate proposition on it like the 4070 Ti and the 7900 XT at the same price, I, the, the 7900 XT should easily be the card you buy. But e- even when it comes to ray tracing, they trade blows because yeah. of VRAM constraints on the 4070 Ti half the time. But nonetheless, it has over 50% more VRAM slash almost double the VRAM, depending on how <laughs> you want to look at it. And it has better raster and almost the same ray tracing. So, you know, why would you not choose that at the same price? Yeah, at that at that point, it really it, the only selling point it has over the seventy nine hundred XT is DLSS, which DLSS is still a great feature. But it's I, a I great think, feature. But I choose RAM over that. Yeah, but I I think all else I think with everything else being compared, uh, the forty seventy falls Ti forty seventy Ti falls to the wayside, and you should get the seventy nine hundred XT. But you know. Um, I think the 7900 XT accidentally became the AMD's sacrificial lamb to upsell to the 7900 XTX, and the XT just kind of looks terrible. And to get to rehabilitate it, I think they need to drop it. Probably, like you said, probably below what they need to. It should be. I, I don't know if it needs to be 700, but. I don't think that you're going to be applying much pressure to the 4070 Ti unless it's at something like. 750 or something or a few models are at 750 yeah you know and you have to worry if they were to drop the price right now to 750 i mean you might get a piss off a lot of early adopters of the 7900 xt that's true so if the street price is slowly going to 750 anyways maybe you just wait for it to get to 750 in a couple months and then drop it to 750 right when the 4070 launches uh, yeah, well, the 4070 is going to be coming out relatively soon, though, right? Or uh, we don't know, I guess. Yeah. About a month from now, yeah. Yeah, so, eh. yeah, I, I mean, I think it would look good if they could. 
for sales like at least one if, week before it comes out you know announce that yeah if they could right uh take the wind out of the sales of the 4070 launch by you know dropping the price to we'll see what the 4070 ends up costing i, I mean if if nvidia is really bold and they cr- try to go for like six hundred eighty dollars or something if amd brought the 7900 xd down to uh Sit uh, seven hundred fifty. That would look incredibly stupid. But if they go for something like six hundred dollars for the forty seventy, then eh, I don't think that's going to hurt the forty seventy that much. You know, I will say one more thing before we move on to the next story as well. Um, I've done, as you guys will see in an ad today, actually <laughs> extensive testing of the 7735HS APU, specifically the APU's integrated graphics itself. And, you know, this thing I I determined was between, a depending on the game, like a 1050 Ti to a 1650, which you would expect based on everything we've known about Rembrandt for a year now. But, you know, and, and that means in a lot of the games I tested it and I had to use FSR. One of them was Harry Potter, and I tested it pretty, like, I, I was really surprised how good fsr 2.0 looks now like Mm -hmm. the way i used to look at it i think you would agree with me because you game on a 6700 xc so you've used fsr quite a bit fsr 1.0 especially in 4k was definitely worth using but it didn't look as good as dlss fsr 2.0 generally at the higher settings looked as good as dlss from what you saw but it left a lot to be desired at the lower settings i found at the lower settings even below 4k with harry potter on this apu mm. uh, which i got it running like 1080p 60 it was a similar situation to dlss 2.0 now where it's like look you probably don't want to do the lowest fsr setting in 1080p just like you don't want to do the lowest dlss setting if you're in 1080p but one of the higher settings it actually does boost performance without looking like just complete ass which mm. doesn't sound like you're saying a lot but the people who use fsr half the time aren't gaming at 4K. They're using it to get that extra performance. And I have to say at this point, FSR 2.0 is pretty close to DLSS in my testing. Again, I know people will say DLSS is better, but for me, a major factor in that argument wasn't just if you boost your 4K frame rates, but if you were with a mid-range card in 1440p using balanced DLSS or FSR, does it still look good enough to choose to use sometimes? I think it does now in some of the recent releases. Well, yeah, and that's definitely true with uh, some of these features that are designed around like uh, boosting frame rate by having ideally minimal reductions in uh, image quality. Uh, Those sound like sacrifices that you would want to make more at the mid-range to low end. Uh, but the the way they have been advertised is generally as a high end thing, where it's like uh, the forty ninety, for example, like mm-hmm. barely needs DLSS. I feel like I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it helps with some games, but when you if have you want to crank up ray tracing at like one forty four hertz, yeah, four <laughs> K. When you want to p- play at like one twenty hertz in most games, though, you can mm-hmm. prop m- more often than not just do that with a 4090 (laughs) you know and that's why i think it's so important for like amd to get not just fsr 2.0 and high quality mode working well in 4k 
But make it a viable choice in 1080p too, or 1440p with balanced settings. And at least what I saw in a couple games now, and this was not what I thought a few months ago, it is getting there. Like, it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's stop talking about cards that we think are all overpriced here and move on to the second story, story number two. First independent test of Navi 33 conducted. The RX 7600S trades blows with a laptop RTX 3070 Ti. A week ago, friend of the channel, Jared's Tech, got a hold of an A16 laptop that utilizes an R7 7735HS and an RX 7600S. Now, Morris Lawsdead actually has gotten a chance to test the 7735HS recently, as I just said, and we think it's actually a fantastic APU. But because it's just a refresh of Rembrandt, it's really not that interesting overall, unlike the 7600S. The 7600S utilizes a cut-down 28CU Navi 33 configuration that, in this case, in the laptop he tested, was limited to just 85 to 95 watts, and it managed to consistently trade blows with 120 to 150 watt 3070 Ti laptops and 140 watt 3060 laptops. This is an incredible achievement considering the 100 watt 4060 laptop performs a hair better than the 140 watt 3060 and the 100 watt 4070 GPU tends to perform like a 150 watt 3070 Ti. Remember, the 7600S is not clocked to the full 120 watts Navi 33 can support in laptops. And this is also a cut down model. The full 120 watt 7600 MXT should therefore easily be a 4070 laptop competitor despite the 4070 utilizing the 4N node and AMD utilizing a 6 nanometer node, well, they both have a similar die size. Furthermore, if the 7600 MXT can scale performance further if supplied with 140 to 180 watts on a desktop chip, it's entirely conceivable. The 7600 XT, a card that will be cheaper to produce than the 6600 XT from the previous generation, will compete with the desktop 4060 Ti if the 4060 Ti does use the 8106 dice rumored. Oh, and one more thing. If 6 nanometer Navi 33 is actually able to compete with the 4 nanometer 8106 in performance and efficiency, which would mean, by the way, 6700 to 6800 1080p performance, then this directly suggests that Navi 31 is a problem child of the RDNA 3 family, but that the architecture itself actually has a lot of merit but it's still early. We're just going to have to see how it scales on desktop. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Navi 33, I think, looks impressive. It's able to beat, you know, the mid-range cards from last, or mid-range laptop cards from uh, last generation with, like, half the uh, power u- uh, usage. Well, two-thirds, I'd two-thirds. say. Oh, yeah, not half. Two-thirds of power usage. Uh, and I don't know. it. I, I guess Navi 31 might be disappointing to people, but I don't know. I guess we have Navi 33 to make us slightly less disappointed in, uh, in RDNA 3 overall so far. Well, you know, I also, on that note, I included a link in the description to more Phoenix 780M integrated graphics benchmarks coming out that are now higher than the one I leaked from one of my sources. Mine suggested that 25 watt to 25 watt, you're looking at like, 20 to 40 percent more performance between an integrated graphics between Rembrandt and Phoenix, which mm-hmm. considering the power usage was similar, I was like, that's actually pretty decent. <laughs> um, 
then, you know, we have stuff coming out now that shows it beating base, pretty much all Rembrandt chips, uh, although we don't know the power consumption of this test. It is an R9 model, though. The one I leaked was an R7 model. And you have to go, okay, so it seems all but confirmed then that at the same power Phoenix is bringing, and, and let's remember, it's also powering eight cores of Zen 4 at the same yeah. time, which Zen 4 only, I think, claimed a 25% efficiency increase over Zen 3. So if the CPU is usually using half of that power, if half of it, you know, if the overall performance in a game is 30 to 40% better, well, half of that's only supposed to be 25% more efficient. <laughs> so that would suggest Phoenix is pretty close to the efficiency claims that AMD made. And Navi 33 is as well. Hopefully they can fix Navi 31 performance with another 5 to 20% boost and improved drivers. But it seems like you don't need those improved drivers right now for Phoenix and Navi 33 to come close to delivering on the performance per watt and per millimeter square that AMD claimed they would get. So that's interesting to see. Yeah, and obviously the thing that sticks out, and um, I think it will become more evident as time progresses, is the the chiplet architecture of Navi 31, or design of Navi 31 might be the problem, or could be the problem, uh, with that uh, die versus Navi 33. Because if if Navi 33 is this much more efficient than Navi 31. I, I, that's the thing that obviously stands out to me as the big difference between the two. Yeah. And well, with, if, if that Navi 32 s- tracks more simu- similarly to Navi 31, I think that would be more evidence of that. Yeah, and I'm trying to think, I guess the only other notable thing I, that I, if I'm remembering correctly, Jared said in his video was that the pricing wasn't decided yet. Who knows? Maybe it is by the time this video comes out, but that he was told that I believe the laptops with Rembrandt refresh and Navi 33 are supposed to start, I believe, around 11 or 1200, which would place them as the same pricing as a 4050 laptop that this thing is just clearly going to be at least 20%, 30% better than we're using the same amount of energy to get there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that is something this market really needs. And that's exciting. And that does make you wonder again, like, you know, okay, let's say Nvidia charges. I don't know. What are we really guessing here, Dan? If there's a gun up to your head, 650 for the 4070 or something. Is that, is yeah. that you? Six, I would say 650. It would be, yeah, six fifty. I think we agree six hundred to seven hundred. So it's about the difference, and you know, and then so what does that make the forty sixty Ti then? Five hundred, probably. <laughs> but then the forty sixty, which as far as we can tell, may be like a one twenty eight bit reduced. Like it might still use the one hundred seven die like laptop. If it does, what is that going to be? Four hundred probably or something. That half of that is greed, and half of that is that they are using a node that's twice as expensive. So even if they're using dies that are two thirds the size, it does cost them more. AMD's got a die size here that's smaller than Navi twenty three, that seems to just perform at least twenty percent better. It's yeah. conceivable they could have a forty sixty killer for three hundred or three fifty, and without any of the supply constraints of four nanometer. Uh, uh I mean, yeah, I think three fifty is a possibility at least I, I i don't think they would go much lower unless they're in a they have yeah unless they're in a bad position where they feel they need to 
you know, not make very much in profits to drive sales of their own product. But, but yeah, I, I think it's still, it's still exciting to think that at least the avenue's there. And, and it's not like one of these things where we're like, oh, I think, cause I think a lot of the arguments we made before RDNA 2 came out, if AMD would go to mark for market share, where AMD's stuff costs maybe a little less than NVIDIA and it performs the same. Now we're looking at stuff where it's like this, at least this die compared to what NVIDIA is planning to charge seems to perform notably better while costing way less. Mm-hmm. The argument before was maybe AMD will go for it because they can. Now the argument I think is, well, I think they should go for it because it almost looks like they have to, <laughs> like with how much of an advantage this is. Like they could make more money on the card and still undercut them. Uh, whereas before we were kind of just hoping AMD wouldn't be greedy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, uh, because what this die is, I mean, this is a, a very small die, I guess. Like, it's 200, 200 nanometer, right? So, 200 millimeter squared. Not millimeter, not nanometer. It'd be very bad performance, I'm sure, if it was 200 nanometer, no matter how good the engineers are. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe they'll be able to pull some magic and have a 10 transistor by 10 transistor die or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think uh, obviously that's the advantage that. AMD has been moving towards for a while is, you know, efficiency and their dies. I mean, being able to make their dies more cheaply and efficiently than everyone else. And uh, they're going to have to leverage that advantage at some point if they want to take market share. Well, it's like, it's like me and a contributor talked about before Kerry knows who got, I believe it was him I talked to. And we were like, you know, if let's okay, so let's say 200 millimeter square die that is going to perform somewhere between Navi 22 and Navi 21 and 1080p. That's small, that's impressive for the performance, but it is worth pointing out that if they were to apply all of the methodologies they did to make this such a compact, powerful card on six nanometer, that if they were to make this on five nanometer, it would probably actually be like 120 or something, 100 to 150 millimeters squared. And they would probably save even more power then because it's using a better node. And so would it cost less to make it on six nanometer for the given performance? Yes, but because the dies would actually be smaller, it would probably only be slightly less while having worse efficiency. Almost the only point to make this on six nanometer is to remove capacity constraints which would suggest market share. Oh, yeah. I I mean... Because there's a reason these companies go to the smallest node. It usually is actually cheaper or the same price while giving you extra efficiency. Like, even if you use the older node to make the same design, you usually don't mm want to do that because there's too many downsides. Oh, yeah, that's true. That are... Yeah, I mean, I I really don't know any other reason uh, other than they want to yeah like you say free up the little capacity they have uh and put this on some and you know put this on something cheaper i mean some other nodes so they can uh print out more of those uh compute unit, I mean, more of those compute and uh uh memory controller dies for navi 31 and 32 yeah This piece of content is brought to you by the Minis Forum UM773 Lite, a fantastic mini PC powered by a Ryzen 7 7735HS, a Gen 4 NVMe SSD, and 16 gigabytes of DDR4 
5 or up to 64 gigabytes since it's easily user upgradable and even includes room for you to add an extra SATA drive as well. It comes with four standard USB ports, two USB-C ports with one of them being 40 gigabit per second, even allowing display out through it and two HDMI ports as well so that you can do work or gaming on multiple displays. And honestly, this thing is in terms of gaming, I wouldn't call it a fantastic gaming system, but any game over a few years old runs perfectly fine in 10 80p and sometimes even in 1440p and uh, uh, basically I would describe it in my benchmarking as being a tad better than a 1050 Ti and maybe 20% behind a stock 1650. Remember the 1650 that I used in these benchmarks was a GDDR6 version that actually used the TU 106 die that 2070 used and so you're looking at above standard 1650 performance on these charts, way above standard laptop 1650 performance and then you also have to remember they can't play ray tracing games unlike the AMD AP like Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition. And I actually was surprised to find that in 768p with decent frame rates, I could crank ray tracing up almost all the way and play it fine. It, it punched above its weight when it comes to ray tracing, I would say. And there's no game, even recent AAA releases I tried, that can't work averaging around 60 frames per second in 1080p with low settings or 768p60 locked at 60 frames per second with okay settings. Seriously. Even if the resolution does need to be compromised in some recent releases, when I describe this APU as playing recent AAA games, I'm not talking about how people used to five years ago. Where they're like, this APU can do 720p, 30 frames per second, barely averaging that low frame rate. When I say it's playable, it is playable at settings that aren't great, but won't make you want to pull your hair out. And uh, I guess I just overall describe gaming on this as like you're using an Xbox Series S that maybe runs resolutions 20% lower, but has a more consistent frame rate compared to that console, which is pretty impressive considering this thing is less than a third the size of an Xbox Series S, and uh, it has excellent build quality. It's an excellent compact desktop that offers you snappiness like a small workstation that you can fit in a fanny pack or handbag and if you want to check it out support moore's laws by clicking on the link in the description clicking on this link helps the channel a lot check out minis forum products today Well, so on this note though, let us move on then to story number three. TSMC keeps fab utilization rate at 70% or higher. This is coming from DigiTimes, which I actually sent to two of my contacts who speak Chinese <laughs> natively <laughs> because there's often a lot of misquoting from DigiTimes when people use Google Translate. But anyways, here is the, and I, eventually I was sent, oh, they made an English version. And then this was double checked that it was the exact translation as well. Uh, quoting from DigiTimes, DSMC's fab utilization in the first quarter of 2023 is being dragged down by a rapid slowdown in seven and six nanometer chip orders. But the foundry has managed to keep its overall fab utilization rates at 70% or higher, according to sources to DigiTimes at the fab toolmakers. DSMC's capacity utilization for seven and six nanometer process dropped below 90% at the end of 2022, fell to 60% in November, and may slip below 40% by the end of March, the source of DigiTimes said. On the other hand, TSMC continues to improve its capacity utilization for three nanometer process technology, which is expected to approach 50% at the end of March, the sources said, and the foundry will also grow the process output to 50 to 55,000 wafers monthly in March, and Apple being the main customer of those. 
Overall, rising three nanometer fab utilization combined with an increase in customer orders may help the foundry's overall fab utilization rates return to more than 90% in the third corner. Without a doubt, they have ample room for more six nanometer production in the short term, which is good news for console supply and AMD's prospects of going for mid-range market share later since they clearly have that option now. And so I just think this actually did deserve being a main story because seems like overall, like what you would say is three nanometers getting adopted faster than expected, five nanometers mm-hmm. drooping a little bit, and six and seven nanometer are surprisingly not doing as well as they thought it would right now. Everyone who complains about Rembrandt being used again in the 7000 series of mobile, again, I'm just saying, I can't promise you AMD's going to go for market share here, but they have a really good performing set of six nanometer CPUs and next gen six nanometer GPUs. This was the whole point they would have kept using those over just making the other ones is so that there are no constraints to capacity. And here we are with TSMC saying they are ready to take more orders. Yeah. Well, and I also do think it kind of speaks to, you know, the fact that everything is just falling to this point and uh, is falling, yet there are still constraints supply. I think some of it's just as these companies don't expect to be able to sell through all of their uh, uh, everything they want they uh, could possibly manufacture because we're in a market where fewer people are buying things. So there's this desire for them to flood the market, but AMD clearly doesn't see a reason to buy up a bunch of capacity and flood the market with processors and GPUs that they aren't going to be able to sell at, I don't know, $100 below MSRP or something even. <laughs> Well, and remember, what I've been told is that they have bought up extra capacity for RDNA 3. So remember, once you make those contracts, you've made them. They have. Now, this won't stop AMD for possibly uh, having the option to reduce orders in what they get later in 2023, like quarter four. But what they bought for quarter one and two, and it's done. They have to use it. So. I think what we're going to see is AMD hope that people use their stuff, which they have. They have bought up a lot of it, people. (laughs) And if it doesn't, you'll see them just cut orders later or have the option to order a ton of extra supply for the Christmas season. Although Mm -hmm. it should be pointed out that if if Rembrandt and Navi 33 sell gangbusters in laptop this year, or early this year, that you're not going to see them be able to like up capacity a ton for that until the, later in the year, because that's when the stuff would actually go into effect that they ordered extra, right? So, mm-hmm. but I think this is pretty exciting though. Um, and QH Freddy writes in and says, Do you think that the slowing of the market will let AMD take more market share percentage wise in laptop than they would otherwise have? Are they still at constraint? Are they still at all constrained and how much silicon they can ship to the mobile? segment so yeah do you think the slowing of the market will let amd take market share based on so qh based on how often and it is basically universal i hear retailers or people who work at retailers people who own retailers <laughs> tell me yeah uh, tell me that they can't keep rising laptops in stock yeah i'm constantly told they can't keep rising laptops in stock and so if there is a drop in demand then that would mean 
people aren't buying everything on the shelves and you would hope what's actually selling, not what's shipped, John Petty, what's actually selling would probably be the ones they can't usually keep in stock, which is a big reason why they're taking server market share as well. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll take market share, though, although they're kind of taking market share in right in the reverse way that the, that's most desirable to them because uh, maybe the supply is constantly outstripping the demand for uh, AMD laptops, but if the, they're less supply constrained because, I mean, if they're less uh, constrained because the de- overall demand is dropped, yeah, they'll take market share, but I don't know if they'll be selling more overall. Correct, like um, unless they were able to up orders, uh, of like a couple quarters ago, because I don't know somebody don't didn't buy because somebody didn't buy capacity that they initially wanted to or something. Yeah, I mean, what should be? Yeah, they would be taking market share because they're selling the same or slightly more than last year. Well, less people are buying Intel. That's what yeah. I would mean. Or or less people are buying Nvidia with those insane prices in all of those laptops. I mean, yeah, if NVIDIA tries to hold firm on those prices for their a lot of their new laptops, I, I mean, AMD has a, a lot of space to really take market share in laptop. Although I think the big problem with that is I don't think OEMs are necessary that sell both AMD and NVIDIA cards. It's a lot due. I don't think the, they're necessarily going to want to be like, hey, buy our objectively better amd laptops that versus are objectively better priced amd laptops versus our nvidia ones they probably wouldn't do that right away with how worried they are they won't get enough of them if they sell well (laughs) they'd probably undercut nvidia it depends some of them i think would actually undercut nvidia a lot like i think lenovo seems to be fully on the amd train so i think they do it um, I would agree that from what I've seen for the most part with like AMD HP laptops, the high-end ones always seem to be a little more expensive than I think they should be. But I assume that's accounting for the fact that they don't think they can get enough supply. But yeah, I think it would depend on the OEM on that one. And again, I, what I'm saying again here is if AMD doesn't go for laptop market share this time, they've they've taken market share every year, guys, despite our complaints that there's not enough AMD laptops. They have taken market share. So to suggest they're not trying to make enough is wrong. They've taken market share. Um, This year, if they don't take market share, I would suggest it was because they decided to not be aggressive and or they were legitimately worried about this recession and they didn't want to get stuck with a ton of stock. Although it seems silly to me to do that right now with how cheap these graphics cards are because there's no reason they couldn't keep using them for years in the low end. Well, I mean, the thing is that if they have the money to do it, they could probably flood the market with a bunch of AMD laptops and take an appreciable amount of market share. But if they, I don't know, double the supply they're give, they did last year, but and they only increase their market share by like 10% because of that, what they have is a bunch of laptops that probably mm-hmm. didn't sell for the price they wanted them to sell for. Yeah. The only good thing, again, though, I would say, though, is this is like a next-gen 6 nanometer chip. So there's nothing to suggest they couldn't rebrand that thing agnosium and just yeah that's true <laughs> that is something they have now it's not like they're it's not like the the horror stories i heard of oems buying up a bunch of 1650s early 2022 and now it's like well no one wants that anymore dude <laughs> <And> no. like, <laughs> i think navi 33 will offer useful performance 
while being able to profit for years is what I'm saying, though, <laughs> at <laughs> least. Um, all right. Let us then move on to story number four. Cadence delivers technical details on GDDR7. Quoting from Anantech, when Samsung teased the ongoing development of GDDR7 memory last October, the company did not disclose any other technical details of the incoming specification besides the fact that it exists. But Cadence recently introduced the industry's first verification solution for GDDR7 memory, and in the process has revealed a fair bit of additional details about the technology. As it turns out, the memory will use PAM3 as well as NRZ signaling and will support a number of other features with a goal of hitting data rates as high as 36 gigabit per second. For those keeping track, by the way, Turing had graphics cards that used between, I believe, 10 or 12 to 14 or 16 gigabit per second. The PS4 five i believe uses 14 gigabit per second most chips now are going to use 20 or something or 18 gigabit per second um so 36 is quite a bit more than what we're used to um at a high level the evolution of gddr memory in the recent years has been rather straightforward newer memory iterations boost signal rates increase burst sizes to keep up with those signal rates and improve channel utilization but none of this substantially increased the internal clocks of the memory cells for example GDDR5X and then GDDR6 increased their burst size to 16 bytes and then switched to dual channel 32 byte access granularity. Although with GDDR6X, Micron and NVIDIA replaced traditional non return to zero NRZ PAM2 encoding with four level pulse amplitude modulation. This is the PAM4 thing you hear all the time with GDDR6X encoding. PAM4 increases the effective data transmission to two data bits per cycle using four signal levels, enabling higher data transfer rates. In practice, because GDDR6X has a burst length of eight bytes when it operates in PAM4 mode, it is not faster, actually, than GDDR6. The same rate, or rather, is designed to be able to reach higher data rates than GDDR6 can accomplish. And all of this basically is what I'm going to cut ahead here leads to GDDR6, yes, in theory, offering better bandwidth than GDDR6, uh, GDDR6X does yeah. than GDDR6, but it tends to use a lot more power. And so a lot of people were wondering if GDDR7 would go to PAM4. I'm just going to summarize here. No, it goes to PAM3, uh, which means that the memory controllers could be cheaper, probably far more efficient as well. Um and uh, yeah, although all of these are claims, if we'll be more efficient, we have yet to see how much power 256-bit memory system will use uh, yet. Okay, so I know there's a lot of technical stuff in there, but this was a slower news cycle, so I figured mm-hmm. I figured this was worth drilling in on just a little bit here, um, the differences between what we've been using before, what GDR6X uses, and what this will use. I'd also suggest that this means a GDR6X memory controller uh, if designed properly, could easily use GDR7 like I've heard. <laughs> it could, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, could... w- without running into like a power wall or something. Again, though, they would have to put in some extra stuff in the silicon to make it be able to use GDR7. But it shouldn't be like, you know, trying to put... I mean, they had to redesign the 290X's memory controller just to use faster GDR5 for 390X. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like that'd be as much of an issue as long as they knew what the standard would be and could plan for it in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like the GDR GDDR7 uh, in a lot of ways is cutting the diff, splitting the difference almost between GDDR6 and GDDR6X with a, a odd 1.5 bits <laughs> per cycle as opposed to just one or two, or mm-hmm. as they put three bits per cycle because you can't send half a bit. But <laughs> yeah, 
Um, yeah, I don't know that I have much else to say except that, I mean, as far, I, I really wouldn't be surprised again if NVIDIA's already got products like the 4090 or working on a variant, the 4090 Ti that could use GDDR7. There's a reason I keep saying like, if they can just wait for GDDR7 to be out, just whether th- these dies they've already manufactured or a tweaked version of it, I would save the 4090 Ti for GDDR7 because AMD is not beating them right now. And there's no reason they couldn't launch something later with like 50% more bandwidth <laughs> than what they currently have in the uh, 4090. Because, you know, the funny thing is, this, let me ask you this. Do you think NVIDIA would go with GDDR6 27 gigabit per second with a 4090 Ti? Because I, I find it already kind of weird that they're using GDDR6X as often as they are unless, and this is probably part of it, they're getting a really good deal with Micron on it. Because already we have GDDR6, like, like giving you the same bandwidth while using substantially less energy. Yeah, because 20 what gigabit is, uh, per second memory. What is the 4090's memory at again? Uh, I, let me, I guess I'll double check to be sure, right? But I think it's like 22 gigabit per second. I, I mean, if you can deliver that high bandwidth with normal G- GDDR6, I don't it's actually... 21 gigabit per second. So yeah, it's barely higher than what AMD is using now. And 24, uh, I believe, is already on the market, or 21 is as well. So there's no reason they're doing that unless they're getting a sweetheart deal from Micron, which I hear they are. Well, the... Yeah, there would be literally no other reason to do it, uh, it especially when you have an architecture that's ironically so as efficient as Lovelace having a low, even lower power RAM uh, pa- paired with that. You could have a, an insanely efficient top end card if that's what they had decided to do. <laughs> but it's just funny for me to think like. Obviously, I think deep down, if they needed to, Nvidia is just going to use the best thing they can when they need to use it. Yeah, but it would be funny thinking of like people going into a micro center, seeing the forty ninety Ti, and on the box it says GDDR six, and then they have to ask, <laughs> "Wait, why does this not have the better memory?" And they're like, "Oh, it's actually clocked twenty percent faster than the forty nineties, or it has forty twenty percent more bandwidth." And they go, "Well, how's that possible?" And then they have to go, "I don't know. GDDR six X actually isn't that good, <laughs> but it has an X behind it, Tom. That means it's Extreme. if we're going by the X metric, that means it's infinitely more X's." So. That is something that I believe uh, Gamers Nexus has charted on a lot of recent reviews is the amount of X's per launch and how good that is. Um, But okay, (laughs) let us then move on to story number five to look at some other silly metrics. All right. How Intel caught up to AMD's graphics card sales. Bad math. Quoting from PC Gamer here, who had someone do a pretty dang good write-up, breaking down a wildly misquoted story recently. A report from noted industry analyst John Petty Research, or JPR, last week indicated that Intel had inexplicably managed to achieve parity with AMD's discrete graphics GPU sales, having only just got itself into the graphics card game. The old pedster has now fessed up that they got the mathematics all kinds of wrong when counting the chips out. Intel did not, in fact, sell the same number of graphics cards as AMD in the last three months of 2022. JPR had erroneously been counting some 60,000 or more Ponte Vecchio data center GPUs that were going into the Aurora supercomputer at the Argonne National Laboratory. And that's some pricey graphic silicon, which ended up seriously skewing the numbers uh, the analysts were playing around with. 
JPR had been using the average selling price of Intel's discrete GPUs to measure graphics card shipments. The numbers that had available included all of the company's data center chips. So yeah, think about what that means. If they took the amount of money and divided that by like $300 per graphics card, when really it's like $30,000 or something for a Ponte Vecchio chip, that's where they got all these numbers from that suggested they shipped a similar number of cards to AMD in the last three quarters. And again, it'd be shipped, not even sold. Um, uh, John Petty actually issued a statement. We have remodeled Intel's Q4 DGPU shipments by subtracting the 60,000 plus high ASP Ponte Vecchio GPUs. We have never counted AMD or Intel GPU compute GPUs in our quarterly reports and got caught by surprise by Intel. We don't think Intel intended to deliberately mislead the industry and simply isn't used to DGPU consumer versus data center GPU shipment differentiation. A DGPU is a DGPU, except they aren't. Yeah, I just disagree. I think Intel knows what they're doing. They don't want you to know how many cards they're shipping because it really wasn't that many. And there's no real shipment data to suggest Intel has shipped remotely as many cards as AMD, let alone NVIDIA. And, you know, guys, I saw so many misleading articles and videos going out in the past week suggesting somehow Intel had sold as many art cards as AMD in the past three months, despite there being fire sales in every country and constant price drops. That's right, guys. Intel's dropping in their retailers without asking them, by the way, are selling these cards below cost because they're outselling AMD. That's a that makes sense. Like, I, I can't yeah. believe how bad the reporting was on this in the past week and how shockingly little research is put into reporting by so many people. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a, an error in math happens, but I think a, a thing you need to always look out when you're putting something out is just a a uh, gut check or like a BS check. Like, did Intel magically start selling... Or I think because this is shipping, did they magically start shipping fifty percent more? I believe was the numbers they uh, settled on. Yeah, it, it, did they start shipping that many more GPUs last quarter in a completely failing market for Intel? Probably not. It, it doesn't make sense, especially when they have, like you said, they have constant issues with Arc, and they've now dropped the price of it by what? 80 bucks already in a market where well, it depends on the SKU. It's like 10% or something, I'd say, on some of them. And I think well, the A380 is practically free by now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, which it I mean, should be. It sucks. I just retested it. I, you're right. I, I, I was thinking the A750 and A770, which I believe those have been dropped by the A770, I believe, dropped to 270. Well, the A gigabyte model dropped like 40 bucks. Yeah. And then the a758 gigabyte i think also dropped 40 bucks okay so i mean when you have a market that generally speaking doesn't need to drop gpu prices that much uh currently and they have to drop their low-end gpus uh all the time there's constantly reporting about how bad they are they They're don't even show up on the Steam survey, like one, not even 0.1%. They're always in stock. And when you compare them to other cards that people talk about selling poorly that are also sometimes not in stock, it just doesn't track that they're shipping so a ton of GPUs unless Intel like gets off on burning money because that's 
effectively what ARC is at this point. Well, some might suggest they do if you look at the recent <laughs> earnings. But um, no, I mean, and you know, again, all of this is not, and, and I do really hate when people look at anything I'm about to mention as some all-encompassing thing that you should be able to quote because it isn't. It's just one data point. And the data point of Steam sur- hardware survey, I think, is actually pretty bad one <laughs> the more I look at it. But at the end of the day, if it was selling, if ARC was selling remotely well, why would Mind Factory say they're like selling single digit percentage of the market share max? Like, why would I don't even know if it was like I forgot what it was. It was a ridiculously low number every week that they report. You know, why would these cards not even be showing up at all on Steam Hardware Survey? Like, even if you think Steam Hardware Survey isn't reliable, and I don't, I don't think. I think you should expect a card that's selling it all to be a percentage point. I don't know. Like, yeah. um, they're not, literally not even on the chart. Uh, why are all, re- it's it just, and, and the, all of this is around, or after too, Intel themselves said they were going to ship 4 million cards. So if we literally know that like, you know, NVIDIA is like shipping, I, I, you know, 10 to 20 million cards a quarter or something like that, where is this market share taking coming from with just 4 million cards? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and like, if you, if you do the math, like the, I believe they said it was like 60,000 uh, of these server cards were counted as uh, consumer cards. Um, if you do that math at like 10 grand a card, that's like several mil, that's several million cards probably or two million cards at 10 grand uh card going into that supercomputer uh, that were overcounted it, it just doesn't track yeah so yeah i don't i don't really know that i have that much else to say here except that i am so disappointed in so many people's reporting on this uh especially when even in the initial report john petty said hey we're tracking this for the first time don't double down on exact conclusions yet. Although I would say, I don't know why you included it in the report if you're saying they're unreliable, but like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do about the fact that when I look in the comments now, like on WCCF tech, you just see people going, yeah, but Intel's outselling AMD and like almost no one's seen the correction of this ridiculous reporting that so many bullshit websites ran with and it didn't even pass the smell test. Yeah. And I just have to say like, you know, incorrected things get reported and sometimes. And, you know, John Petty Research, obviously, because this is how they make their money, uh, had the due diligence to correct their right. bad information. And PC Gamer, to be fair, also corrected their bad information, although this article probably didn't generate as many clicks as their initial one. But <laughs> mm. Although you can tell they corrected they put it. effort into trying to make a good article, so it would. Yeah, and... and when bad information gets reported, you know, you just have to do the due diligence to correct it as much as you can and not and not do the lazy thing of, I, I don't know, like we've talked about from other websites before, like so, either not correcting things, silently editing articles uh, with... <sighs> yeah, we've seen <laughs> that have been up for like web- several weeks. Edit the article without saying they edited it. Yeah, to remove the shoe that they put in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, like you know, it, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. All I can say is, you know, John Petty from the start. I, I would disagree. If you're unsure, be careful when you start tracking this. Maybe more, but right away, John Petty tried to correct things and yeah. was even cautious in the beginning. So, 
you know, John Petty tried to do things the right way from the start. And all of these websites made a bunch of claims. Even John Petty didn't. By the way, also saying outsold on a lot of websites, even though he continues to emphasize this is shipments. I can't promise you anyone's buying them. Um, and I don't know. I've just seen some YouTubers <laughs> and websites put out articles talking about Intel outselling Radeon a week after they corrected this. And it's just... Think about who you're supporting here sometimes, people listening to this. And it's just like, what? So the, all of this reporting happens. When did this initial article come out? I, I, I'm always mixing up. My... Oh, the PC Gamer one? Okay, so a week ago. Yeah. I, I, I guess the damage had already been done because I, I was just thinking like, does this track to you that when it's, that something like this comes out like the week that Intel finally drops the price of the a770 as well or like oh they're selling gangbusters this doesn't really make sense no i know and again the first thing i said to everybody over a week ago was shipments not sold like yeah that's why they're on fire sale in japan i believe it was for 150 dollars after tax (laughs) because they're not selling (laughs) i I forgot that's why they just had to drop the price to 250 after the 6600 was already below 250 for months that that's why you see all these bargains happening and lowering of prices is because they're not selling intel shipped a handful of cards and they're still having to lower prices if they were selling well they wouldn't have to lower these prices <laughs> you know yeah let's move on to uh story number 6 intel arc a770 and a380 retested with recent drivers post Price drops. A little over a week ago, Hardware Unboxed put Intel's recent ARC driver performance enhancements claims to the test and found a less than 10% performance increase on average compared to five months ago. Yes, improvements have been made, but outside of some outliers, which were mostly DirectX 9 titles that were already running catastrophically badly, the A770, at least according to Steven Hardware Unboxed, did not seem to perform double digits better than it did almost ever. Furthermore, me, yours truly, just reran A770 and A380 benchmarks with the latest drivers, and well, I do almost always get at least a 1% boost over what I saw last year, it's usually less than 5% at most, and therefore, I have to say, despite Intel's claims, the overall picture hasn't changed, besides the fact that now the control panel doesn't crash when I open it. Mm-hmm. Um, the A770 is still in my testing and in Steve's testing, an RX 6700 competitor that gets trounced by the 6700 XT in 4K, which the 6700 XT costs the same as the A770 now, and in in 1080p, the 6650 XT also trounces the A770 while consuming far less energy, and of course, that's cheaper. Without a doubt, my testing yielded very similar results to Steve at Hardware Unboxed, and if anyone complains of a biased average of of my average, by the way, I will say this. I didn't. I don't have some of the best performing ones in there, but I've noticed a lot of averages don't test Battlefield 2042, despite that game having a surge in popularity recently. I found in Battlefield 2042 that at stock, a 680M in my 7735HS outperformed the A380, <laughs> which has a die size, what, 75% as big as Navi 33 on the same node, by the way. Um, and the A770 lost to my 6500 XT 8 gigabyte in Battlefield 2042. Another point here. Interestingly, I reached out to Steve at Hardware Unboxed today 
And he told me, after asking Intel what was going on with their claimed performance increases in ARC, that Intel told Steve that his testing matched their results and that their bar graphs that looked impressive were looking at specific performance scenarios that were, and it's in the chart if you look at it, adjusted to average FPS per dollar, and they've just lowered the price of the A750. This directly suggests those bar graphs with huge performance per dollar claims by Intel based on new driver updates were intentionally misleading and did some funky math where most of that increase is probably just the price drop of the A750. So yeah, in conclusion, considering that I can now launch Intel's control panel without crashing my PC, and I saw less crashes than last year, I personally now could recommend the A750 at 150 and the A770 at $200. But that's it from my perspective. Arc's uncertain future and troubled past mean I can never see merely tying AMD or NVIDIA cards in price performance, which is all Intel's doing right now at best to this day as worth choosing over their competitors. And again, usually they have worse price performance guys to this day to what they compare themselves to. Again, so yeah, what did you think, Dan? There's, I actually made this a pretty big part of this episode because I had to use my A770 testing at some point. I don't think I'm ever going to do a review because I just think it's too negative. I'm just trying to look at the, figure out what they're saying in this review. I mean, not review and in these bar graphs because average FPS per per dollar normalized to to launch driver. I don't know why they would show average FPS per dollar when they're doing this price comparison, unless you, like you say, they're doing some weird wonky normalization where they're normalizing, where they're doing like the FPS from the launch price and the launch driver versus that or something weird like that. Cause that's looking at it really the only way that thing that explains that bar graph because yeah, like hardware on box review or re-review i guess you could call it with the new drivers definitely showed a noteworthy increase in performance it's although like not seven great. and a half percent yeah it, it, it's it, it's and notable but it's not thing. huge almost every game i tested was like two to three percent better yeah it, it, it's not like that's a bad uh, it, it's not like that's going to be like a thing i'm mad about is getting eight percent more performance although it's not that noteworthy except in like dx9 games like where they got more than a doubling of frame rate which is where arc was at a really bad point but let me um, point this out too there were multiple games where there was no difference oh yeah i know you found the same but like their promotional drivers just i mean their promotional graph just seems to be verging on the point of lying almost I, i i'm not quite sure what they're showing and it's one of those things where I don't think they want you to quite know what they're they're showing you, you know? Again, let's just be very clear about this. Steve found single-digit uh, performance increases and sometimes no performance increase in games that showed a huge gain on Intel's graph. And Intel directly confirmed to Steve that their testing, that his testing was correct. Mm-hmm. Meaning the only way some of these games have an increase here is it's just the price drop on the A750, which was dropped to a price that's still higher than cards that compete with it in performance. Well, and I think if you like, I obviously I haven't like gone and measured the pixels to to see this, sure. but if, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'll get bored and I'll do that tonight or something. <laughs> 
but um it, i think it's noteworthy to look at how flat the uh the graph is when i say that like how each bar is almost the same height with except with a few notable outliers uh and a lot of these uh dx11 and dx12 games which to me says the normalization or whatever they're calling their normalization is where they're getting this increase from right and and i want to make it very clear what my opinion here is on arc on i should not even on arc i should say on the a770 um and a380 five months after they're out when i first tested these cards because i got the a770 around launch um i found that they crashed in like one out of five games and at that point my recommendation then was no one get it like the driver features it was worse than like vega when it first came out you know where like watman didn't work and a couple things and the drivers didn't you know at least vega didn't crash in basically any game it just was clear it needed some optimization and watman wasn't working Mm -hmm. most of the things in the catalyst well not catalyst whatever intel's control panel are weren't working well in the game and it crashed all the time that's not the case now it it seems to play every one of my games without crashing that I tested just now. But, well, it did crash while I was rendering something, though, so that's <laughs> also not good. So not cool. good for professional use, in my opinion, still. But, you know, so what that means to me is, okay, so this is kind of feeling like launch drivers for AMD mm, or NVIDIA yeah. at best. But with that in mind, then, that means I can recommend it at any price. Last year, I couldn't recommend these cards at any price because I just wouldn't want a family member I told to get this complaining for a month to me straight over the phone. Like, and, and you know, I talked to people at Micro Center who said that they got a lot of returns on Alchemist in the first month. You know, I can recommend it at a price, but that price is going to be like 150 for the A750 and 200 for the A770 because ultimately... In my testing, which, you know, I sent you my results, and I double-checked them today before we recorded, in 1080p, the A770 uh, loses to the 6700 pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in 1440p, it maybe wins by like 10% or uh, something. I don't know. I mean, in 4K, it does. You know, and, and let's keep in mind what this means, though. Like, this isn't a card that was, like, easily doing 4K60 in every game. So winning in 4K isn't as important as it would be for, like, a 4090, because mm-hmm. it easily does 4K. So does the 7900 XTX. And so I, I I have to say that I think a lot of people would buy this card to play in 1080p, and it will lose to cheaper AMD cards and that use way less energy. And so who knows what's going to happen next? Like, maybe it looks okay now, but I, I just it still really isn't better price performance in the competition. And we don't know if like a game's going to come out in a month that it can't run. They still haven't fully fixed Halo. There's still artifacts, mm-hmm. people say. I thought I saw a couple of artifacts in Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition too when I was running it. So I don't know. That's my overall opinion on it. And and then the A380, I don't know if I can recommend to anyone. Uh, I mean, man, it is pretty bad. It's it's worse <laughs> than a 1650, guys. Like it's yeah. it's barely a 1050 better than a 1050 ti i i mean what i was gonna say with like the new drivers and the price drop the a770 and the a750 are at a point where like i guess maybe you're not uh, how would i put it we're not at a level of insanity if someone recommends it that it's like what what are you talking about man we're at a you're you're at like a bop him in the head like what? No, just get like a six, 
get literally anything from the 6600 to the 6700 XT instead. Like, yeah. Those are all better. And I think both of them need to drop another, I don't know, $50 at least, maybe 40, $30 or $40 at least to not look insanely stupid. Although... I, I just don't know what price it, it needs to get to where I won't just recommend like the 6600 or the 6650 XT instead or something. Yeah. And like, here's the thing too is you'll see used 3060s on eBay now. Every now and then they'll just be someone who has them for 250. Yeah. And I know people will go, yeah, but I want a new card, not a used card. And I'm like, well, what's the percentage chance this used card breaks versus this A770 just can't run a game? You know, but I, I think, yeah, I think for me, just because I insist stability is more important than a 10% performance win. It, it just is. Um, I, 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 you know, I would probably recommend a lower price than a lot of people, but I'd still say like where it's really going to be attractive. And I will say, I get it now is if the a seven is honestly below 200, I think 180, and the a seven seventies 250. And I just retested it guys. Hardware Unbox just retested it. Intel told Hardware Unbox that his testing was accurate. Mm-hmm. It has not gotten some big performance boost. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they just dropped one of their cards to almost the price AMD's been at for months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just feel like this has to be a major part of this episode, which we're basically done here. But I, I think it has to because there is some mass hysteria going on with some channels that i think are criminally fucking over their fans into buying a card for weird reasons and it's gotta stop like people are telling all their fans to buy something that costs more performs worse and uses more energy out of some i don't know vin some crusade against amd or nvidia yeah i don't know who, you know who comes first? The consumer. You tell someone to buy the best product. You don't tell people to buy Bulldozer to keep AMD alive. You tell them to keep their powder dry and then fire when Zen comes out so that they're double rewarded when they make something good. <laughs> yeah. I, I still don't get the the design. I, don't, I still don't get recommending why anyone would recommend ARC. It's just they're... Coming back into, they consistently make ARC look slightly less stupid, but they're coming from a position where it was in such a terrible condition. uh, Any improvement still leaves them in the territory of bad, you know? Yeah. What we're seeing now, a $250 A750 that competes with the 6600 and a $350 A770 that kind of beats the 6700 that the 6700 i can get for 320 though um but it does have six gigabytes more ram to be fair this is what it should have been in march last year yeah (laughs) if this launched like this in march last year while amd's prices were higher i would have told people to buy it actually but it isn't it's a year later amd's cheaper nvidia's cheaper and also amd just like boosted ray tracing performance in some apps by 20 percent. so it's AMD and NVIDIA aren't sitting still. They're improving their stuff, too. Yeah. I, I mean, everything with uh, Alchemist or Arc is just them catching up. And I don't think they can actually truly catch up there. They can just stay where they are relative to where AMD and NVIDIA are Yeah, with uh, Alchemist. All right. 
QH Freddy writes in and says, is there any reason Intel could or could not walk back on scaling down Battle Mage to a single low-end chip as you last reported? So I wasn't quite sure what you meant, QH Freddy, but I'm assuming what you mean is overall my sentiment, and I say sentiment because what Intel just canceled Rialto Bridge and a bunch of other, like they're always canceling and like stuff. So it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen when so many things are changing here. Uh, but basically, and it you're right, QH Freddy, it, it has not changed from about half a year ago. I'm under the understanding that Alchemist is going to continue to be this like ugly stepchild that always has weird things going on with announcements that don't match what they're trying to do. And then Battle Mage still exists, to my knowledge, with a single die with the top die being canceled. And Celestial's still on life support with a couple dies. That's still my understanding. I think what your question is, is there a chance they could change plans and launch a bigger Battle Mage? If that's what your question is, I mean, the literal answer is I guess, but that would mean it's not probably coming out till the end of 2024 then because I, what from what I'm seeing, uh, Intel's development progress, which these are things that Intel tracks, by the way, multiple teams contribute to. So if one team isn't adding any updates to the highest end die for months, that would tell you it's probably not in development anymore, right? Yeah, and, and if, if it's that means, okay, sure, they can kickstart it again, but it's not coming out for a long time, and I don't know why they would bother when it's going to come out too late anyways, and then they might, I, they, they might as well just work on making Celestial have a high-end die. Yeah, and, and I don't know, the idea that after they've canceled Rialto Bridge that they would come back with Oh, but we're but we're increasing uh, funding to this other area of AXG. Doesn't well, AXG's make, to this oh yeah, that's true. Of former AXG because AXG yeah. is literally gone now, guys. Um, the idea that they would increase funding to that uh, an, an seemingly already area that's lost funding in their graphics departments doesn't sound likely to me. <laughs> I, you never know, I suppose, but. Right. So I I would just say that even if they might want to, I think it's a little, it's just a silly move. Like, look, instead of trying to make a high end battle mage die, try to just make sure the one die you're launching can be mid range and come out on time. You've already proven Mm -hmm. you have trouble launching two things at the same time. Why bite off more than you can chew? Like, it's time for Intel to start being conservative and executing on time. And there's really, I don't see a lot of downside here because after the horrible mindshare they've generated around ARC, I don't think anyone's spending $700 on an ARC card next year. So there's no point in making a high-end Battle Mage card. Make, make one die, try to make sure the drivers are excellent, make sure it's perfect so you can actually sell it as a I don't know, 4060 competitor next year instead of a 4050. That will get back some goodwill and then focus on a high end celestial. I think even if their future is bright for Alark, which I don't think it is, but even if it was, that's still what they should do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in my opinion, at least. Uh, this much, Jesse is focusing on playing tug of war, fetching sticks and balls all day and night. 
and just watching over the neighborhood. But me, I'm actually doing a decent amount of testing on equipment for new builds for members of my family. And one thing I won't have to watch for when it comes to these builds is where to get reasonably priced Windows keys. And that's because I use CDKeyOffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com and their March sales event. Spring forward into avoiding paying monopolistic fees for Windows 10, Windows 11, and Microsoft Office products this March. Click on the links in the description to help this channel, by the way. Seriously, just clicking on those links helps Moore's Law is dead a lot. But what would help even more if you need a Microsoft Office key is to use offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% off all Microsoft products and then die shrink to save 3% off everything else on the website because they do also sell Steam games, PlayStation keys, and even gaming gear as well. Use CDKeyOffer.com today. All right, let us move on to the final story. Story number seven, Adore TV confirms Moore's Law's Dead's Meteor Lake IPC targets and the Z890 platform leaks as well. We'll be brief. Adore TV leaked some internal Intel slides that, by the way, look similar to architecture slides I've seen shared before between parts of Intel and intercompany communications that directly backs Moore's Law's Dead's performance targets of 15 to 25% IPC increases for Redwood Cove and Meteor Lake. To be clear, Jim did say that this slide he had, which he felt was safe to share now, is from a couple of years ago. But this does directly show that the whole time Intel's been trying to hit around a 20% IPC increase for Redwood Cove, which is the same type of number Moore's Law is Dead has reported for, I don't know, months now. Um, and this is particularly notable as some people, I've seen at least online, have disputed if Redwood Cove, which was first exclusively leaked by Moore's Law is Dead in 2020, is on paper a decent upgrade over Raptor Cove and existing uh, Intel consumer products, which again, here's another person saying it will be. The only thing, though, that remains uncertain is what clock speeds these products can attain in the next 12 mm. months. With both Jim at Adore TV and Moore's Law is Dead confirming that clock speed regressions are expected for Meteor Lake, and Moore's Law is Dead did just leak that Raptor Lake is expected to remain the flagship gaming architecture well into 2024, pretty firmly suggesting that it's unlikely Meteor Lake it's at least suggesting that Intel isn't confident Meteor Lake will clock above five gigahertz is how I put it. Uh, which yeah. if it doesn't, even if you get a 20% IPC increase, what you're beating Raptor Lake by a few percentage points or something here. Um, anyway, on another note though, convincing details of a possibly canceled Meteor Lake based Z890 platform also leaked in the past week. There's not much to say about it besides the fact that it seems like Intel, if they were to launch this platform, would finally be adding four PCIe Gen 5 lanes for an NVMe drive on top of what the existing Z790 platform offers. Uh, but do remember that if Meteor Lake S is canceled completely, that this platform likely will be as well, unless they can get Arrow Lake out on time to use the Z890 platform, or unless they launch what I've heard they might launch, just an i5-14600K or i7-14700K 6 plus 8 CPU with this platform as a mid-range only lineup until Arrow Lake is ready. Because I could actually almost see them launching this first as the i5 and then later in the year launching i7s and i9s based on Arrow Lake. I don't know though. That's a, as far that's, as I'm aware, they haven't canceled it though yet. That's possible. I, but I think the Z8, I think, that, I think launching an i5 next to Z890 would be a... a Odd choice, probably, 
having a high-end platform that only has a mid-range CPU would be strange. <laughs> right, because if they're adding Gen 5, even with costs coming down on this types of components and cheaper ways of getting the signal integrity you need for a Gen 5 connection, it's still going to cost more. So it, undoubtedly, they'd still be launching a $350 i5 with a $300 motherboard. <laughs> yeah, and at that point, I, I don't know. I, either wait and have a weird lineup where like, that's a mix of Arrow Lake and Meteor Lake or something, or just relegate Meteor Lake to laptops, which is what I think probably should happen with Meteor Lake. But well, again, just as an update, my understanding, and I think I asked, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, so it's fairly recent. Meteor Lake desktop progress isn't done, mm-hmm. but it does seem like the six plus sixteen and eight plus sixteen designs are. Also, I've heard about some progress being made on how to market up to i7 meteor like no i9 mentioned <laughs> <laughs> and also as far as i'm aware z890's development is ongoing so i think okay. all of this points to they still probably plan to launch an i5 or i7 6 plus 8 cpu quarter and four through quarter two somewhere around there um and they are probably keeping the progress going honestly guys as long as they have any hope they can hit five gigahertz with uh, the desktop meteor like by quarter two next year because who knows maybe they launch six plus eight meteor like to laptop in quarter three this year if things go well and it tops out at like 4.5 gigahertz and then they're like okay by the end of the year we can have the yields necessary to launch a token amount of five <laughs> gigahertz i5s that will overall outperform rapture like by five to ten percent which should allow us to tie zen 4 x3d and we'll have a better platform if they could keep that platform to $200 and have a $350 i5 that is technically by 1% the best gaming chip, well, keep in mind, using half the energy of Raptor Lake, by the way, I don't think that's a complete waste of time. Yeah. Um, but it is definitely not that exciting compared to what we were hoping for. Yeah, it does just seem that uh, games are increasingly being made to utilize 8-core as well, so... Without eight big cores, I'm wondering if at this point it's easy to take the gaming crown. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is something that we saw, of course, with the 7950, and especially 7900 X3D, which is any spillover into having to use the non-cache-laden, or non-v-cache-laden CCD, you know, hit got performance penalties it just never ran into even if you just force it on eight cores and there's a real question here um if six is really going to be i mean i guess it's mid-range though dan but yeah there will undoubtedly be games where it actually probably won't outperform the top alder lake or raptor lake i9 because it needs those eight cores and again you know i think it's about time frankly as far as i've you know i've leaked this arrow lake i believe is eight plus 16 on desktop with a 32 core Little core model canceled, probably. You do got to wonder if they should be, and I think AMD is, designing one of the CCDs to be 12 big cores at least. Because I think it's time to move to 10 to 12 big cores plus little cores. Because I don't really mm-hmm. see that not being enough for games. And honestly, pretty soon games will probably figure out a way to use the little cores. But I think 8 is going to start looking not quite enough for the highest frame rate gaming right now. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let us then move on to the wrap-up. These are the stories that we thought deserved a mention 
but uh, do not get their own story. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about this one here. This was quite disappointing for me. So I guess that Mendocino handheld from Aya Neo uh, or A-Y-A-N-E-O, that company. I don't know if you remember, Dan, but I think like half a year ago, t- uh, they announced a handheld that was going to be a $200 Steam Deck competitor. And granted, it was going to have only... It's going to use Mendocino. This is a Zen 2 quad-core APU with only two compute units. It's like a... I forgot. Like It's like 80 to 100-something millimeter squared die. is tiny. And the idea being, hey, we can make this $200 handheld that, yeah, maybe is half to a third the performance of the Steam Deck overall because it should clock higher, uh, but is, you know, half the price and it plays all indie games. I guess they're charging more than a Steam Deck for it. I and I'm not wrong. This will be weaker than a Steam Deck, right? Yeah, it's going to have two compute units instead of eight, even yeah. if they're clocked faster. And I think they will be. So what? It's going to be like a third the performance, probably at best. That's disappointing. I mean, I guess it just goes to show uh, Steam Deck is definitely the best game in town when it comes to those handhelds. Yeah, I mean, and I'm looking here. It looks like at $550 for a pre-order price, it's going to come with 8 gigabytes of RAM. The Steam Deck comes with 16. Yeah. this. this thing looks <laughs> like, to be honest, this thing looks like a piece of shit. I, I don't know what happened here. I don't know if like they had a contract they thought they'd get, and then it just was double the price, or... I don't know. I honestly don't know what I what I'm looking at here. I get like the 6800U and like Rembrandt based units that cost 50% to twice as much. I do not get selling for more than a Steam Deck this. There's there's some component here that must have like added a base cost that's way higher that just screwed them. Yeah, I know. I I I'm I'm trying to figure out what it I'm curious what it could be if there was I I I really don't know. It, it, the only thing I can think of is that this was like some economy of scale issue that Steam was able or Valve was able to acquire more pieces and sell it at a lower cost, or or what, or if there's like there's some overpriced screen in this or something. Those are the only two things I could really imagine. But yeah, I think that's really disappointing because something I've actually been testing a decent amount of handhelds and APUs over the past I don't know eight months or something. Like you know, I had that little. Amberneck yeah. gaming device that could play PS1 games, which was fun to mess around with. Um, I, I don't think all games need to be able to run like Harry Potter on their APU or like all, all these handhelds do. I think if you have something that's 100 to 200 to 300 bucks or something and it can run Minecraft, at least, which this could have, or all indie games, I think there's a real argument for like, no, make it a third the size of the Steam Deck and let it fit in your pocket like a PSP Go. And then let it play Minecraft and indie games. Because let's be honest, most people aren't going to sit down to play like a God of War mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on a bus because <laughs> you want to use your big screen TV for an epic game like that. But at $600, this is just silly. And actually, on that note, let me just get to another thing in the write-up. Steam Deck, next-gen Steam Deck, apparently years away. In an interview, someone at Valve confirmed they don't, well, they might have new models of the Steam Deck come out with improvements. They don't think a full next-gen performance one is coming for a few years. Okay. So, after seeing this, I don't think they need it either. No, it's just one of those things where, like, it would be nice if a, a, a new model, I don't know, every two or three years came out because uh, I just don't think that APU that they have in the Steam Deck is going to be able to keep up for that long. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'm wrong, but... yeah. Um, 
And then let's see what else do we have here. Uh, there was Panther Lake. Uh, like there were some code names in like a LinkedIn leak or something. And frankly, I don't think I'm going to dwell on it. Look, guys, they mentioned Panther Lake and Lunar Lake and all the stuff that we've been talking about for a year. I, I don't know. I guess this adds more credibility to these leaks, so that's interesting. But I don't think there's much to dwell on. Um, let's see. We have a few Dragon Range things here. I think this is worth pointing out. Uh. In an interview, someone at AMD confirmed Dragon Range can have Vcash variants like I leaked last year. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that should be surprising, but anyone who doubted it anymore, they just said it can. Um, and I guess this was, I don't know if I should say surprising, but Dragon Range mobile, yeah, so Dragon Range like gaming benchmarks are showing them pretty handily crushing Raptor Lake models while using substantially less energy. I think that's Pretty impressive, actually, because that tells you the way I saw Dragon Range was, hey, look, you got this 170 watt 16 core on desktop. They already make 150 watt CPU models. Make it 150 watts and <laughs> compete with Intel and high end laptops. That wasn't that interesting to me, though, because I don't think I, I'm guessing you're on the same page as me, Dan. You don't have any plans to buy laptops that use 150 watt CPUs anytime soon. Uh, no. That sounds right. that sounds a, a little bit too much to me. <laughs> but it seems like the like 45 to 95 watt Dragon Range models crush Raptor Lake in gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's actually kind of exciting. Again, because this just uses the same chiplets as desktop. So they ha- again, guys, they have no excuse to not go for market share in laptop this year. If they don't, something went wrong. They have no excuse. Um, and then, okay, final thing. Starfield delayed again. I don't know how much I have to say about this, but I first got cued in that this was happening. Well, I mean, I guess there were a bunch of articles online talking about how surprising and crazy it is that once again, Bethesda's delayed their game that we've seen very little gameplay of. If you can tell from my tone, I'm not surprised. But this came after me and NX Gamer talked about how it doesn't sound like the development's going very well, at least. I can say someone that I trust. Let's leave it at that. Um, not good. I'm not hearing good things about Starfield development. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you hope it improves, but it's whatever they're doing is very strange. Where they release this YouTube video, like that, that's meant to be like, we've got some big fun news for you. And it's really just them hiding that the game is probably delayed another, I don't know, six months. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, that was weird how they like announced. I think they, I don't remember if they announced an official date in the first half of this year, but I thought they did, or they at least said early 2023. And then we got to like March and everyone's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the, this is one of those things where, it's starting to feel like this game is in development hell or something. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, just like the, <laughs> it's just one of the, the weirder delay announcements I've seen, or it's like, we're making an, we're turning this delay into an event for some reason. Like we're, we can't tell you anything about Starfield right now, but wait two months and we have an event to tell you about it now. So, if they don't announce the official release date on that June 11th event, I I don't know when. Well, no, the, Dan, it's they've out. announced it's uh, September 6th. Okay, they oh so they just had this weird uh, 
Starfield event where they were pretending this wasn't a delay, I guess. But I don't know. It it feels like this game is in development now. And I don't know. I guess when September 6th comes and goes, I'll believe it actually comes out. But I've seen people say that there was some gameplay trailer. I don't know what gameplay trailer, because I'm scrolling here, they're talking about because I guess there was some like gameplay in the background of the release date announcement or... Uh, but outside of what they've already shown before, they've shown that much gameplay, guys. <laughs> no, I, I've seen uh, I've seen like clips of them landing and stuff, but that nothing significant. I guess I'm seeing yeah here like ten twenty. Oh, it, it's really not. A, I've seen some people say it looks terrible. I, I frankly, if I'm being I disagree. Here, don't. I, I don't think mean, we've seen enough to say either way. I I disagree that what they've shown like looks awful. I, I actually don't know what people are talking about they, mm-hmm. they haven't shown much so there's not much to say about it yet but it's like i don't know it looks like a game with modern graphics which if we're being honest that kind of puts it ahead of most bethesda games from what they've shown so far well there's by the way it's heavily rumored i think i heard this personally as well i have to check my notes if it was for me or if i'm just like remembering it combined with other rumors at the time but uh that, that there's it's heavily rumored they made run this game at 30 frames per second or something in like 1440p or maybe 4k i don't know on series x and who knows if some of the delays they're like we can't let that happen like this that would look so bad i guess i guess we've settled on having some games have a 4k 30 mode still be okay but jesus no not not 1440p 30 mode yeah well, I guess we'll leave it at that, though. Hopefully the delay is just to make sure it actually is in a better state, because I heard at least a month ago it was in a very bad state. But I don't know. We'll just have to see. Yeah. All right. Let us get then to the final reader mails here. Um, TMC Payton writes in, and he says, Howdy, Tom. It seems CPU and GPU makers are often get caught with oversupply problems when they want to launch their next generation. How do automotive companies deal with this problem or avoid it entirely? Entirely. Thanks. So, yeah, I assume he's asking this because he knows that I used to work in the automotive industry and I worked at General Motors, but it, it was in, as an engineer, not in sales. I just have to say that as a disclaimer before I give my opinion here. And I was an account manager for an automotive supplier, I, which this supplier did have contracts with a lot of major car companies like GM. Uh, but I wasn't like really in charge of like, I rarely had to deal with like this thing. Mm-hmm. So all of my opinions right here are just coming from someone who rubs el- used to rub elbows a lot with people who did deal with this issue. But basically, guys, how did car companies handle like the oversupply issue from generation to generation? My honest to God impression is car upgrades are far less exciting than GPU ones. Like you get a 2018 versus 2017 model of something. There's it's like usually the same chassis, almost no difference. Like they always make subtle changes, but it's usually like an iterative thing. Every year a model gets better and better. And then like once every five to 10 years, they re completely redo the whole thing. Like, so what that means is I think most car companies can just know they're probably going to have this percent of the pie. And if things go well, they'll take. 10% 10% more than they did last year. So if they had 10% market share, they'll go to 11. Things go bad, they'll go to nine. And then based on that, they will do 
special, you know, whatever sales or something, they'll, their Toyota thons or something. <laughs> and that's when they'll make sure extra good sales are happening to get rid of the last gen if they need to, or they won't if it sold extra well. And I don't think they've had to adjust for nearly as many wild fluctuations in demand. Um, whereas if you look at graphics cards, guys, I, I think we need to understand how many recent problems have happened to the graphics card market. We've had the explosion of AI, mining, budget rendering, uh, like just AI, I, I mean, just like indie movies, able to make Threadripper systems with a few Vega cards that can now render like really good special effects, whereas they couldn't do that before. And this is, there's so many things funding an explosion in graphics card market share that I just think it's harder to predict that than it is for these automotive companies and let us not forget that as much as we talk about like how do they deal with it well i don't know when the pandemic started they all thought people would buy less cars and they didn't and so when there was upheavals in that market they didn't do really a better job than these graphics card companies is accounting for that in my opinion well yeah i mean i think another way to think about it too is like cars are probably a far to more extent on what other points you said like Cars are kind of a saturated market. Like I don't think, I don't think you you have events that happen or things that come out about cars that like, oh, two hundred million Americans are interested in cars. Well, now there's four hundred million <laughs> Americans interested yeah. in cars. No, like everybody that wants a car. Pretty much has a car at this point, except well, for and like, they last way longer. They last yeah. decades, not. Four years. <laughs> yeah. So when you have like a car, uh, a product that's really expensive that most of the people that have them or, or want them already have them and they only replace them every 10 years, there's not going to be that much fluctuation year to year, I think, or as much as you would have to a graphics market that's constantly expanding and the cards only last two to three years and they're also. 600 to a thousand dollars generally <laughs> yeah i mean i just yeah i think the automotive demand is has been until recently of course which they didn't really do much of a better job than the gpu companies anyways yeah. <laughs> uh, has been just much more predictable you know it's almost like intel eight years ago where like if you're gm or ford or you know fiat or honda or let's just not go through me naming literally every company slowly <laughs> Any of these companies, they can go, we sell this many million cars a year. We're probably going to sell about that many next year. If you're Ford, you'll say, oh, the F-150, we just redid the whole thing. So that's a really popular model for us. So we expect sales to be better. So we're going to make extra of this. And we've been making less because we expect the renew to be better. But it's just so much more predictable, just like with Intel. like They could just know we're going to sell this many server chips a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah, that's about it. And until graphics cards become a RAM-like commodity, which I think I heard John Petty say he thinks that's going to happen eventually, bringing him mm. up again, and I think he's right. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be harder to plan for. <laughs> I think it will happen, but I don't think we're, I think we're like five years away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, QH Freddy writes in and he says, how much do you think the 7900 X3D and 7950 X3D sales are driven by the mindshare created by the 5800 X3D success. How would you answer that, Dan? I mean, I think 
The 5800X3D, I think, primed people for being excited about the announcements of the the X3D models of Zen 4. Um, beyond that, I don't know how much it's driving sales of the 7950X3D. I think it will be more likely to drive sales of the 7800X3D when that comes out because I think the markets for people buying a 5800X3D is different than the market for people buying a 7950X3D generally. You know, in QH Freddy, I'm actually going to throw this idea at you here. I, there's a difference between hype from how good the previous product was generating pent-up demand to the knowledge that something better is coming at all creating pent-up mm. demand. I would suggest that's probably what we're seeing with the 7950X3D and the 7900X3D. Like, when Zen 4 launched, the non-X3D models sold worse than AMD expected. They did do a bunch of price drops. Okay. When I, this is anecdotal, but I heard this from multiple people at micro centers and a few other retailers in other countries as well. They would say, why don't you want Zen 4? We've got pallets of it. And they'd say, I'm going to wait for the X3D. I don't think it really mattered how good the 5800 X3D was really in and of itself. It mattered that it was good. 30% better though, 20, 10% doesn't matter. Everyone knows something at least better is coming in six months. And these are already expensive. Why would I not wait for the best? So oh, yeah. I, I don't know that it's, the 5800 X3D's mind share, I think it's just the knowledge that it was good and that something better is coming no matter what. And that mm. created pent-up demand. Oh, that eh, that's probably not a bad way of thinking about it. And because it, it is a weird thing, I feel it like... It didn't matter if, how good the benchmarks were. It was going to be better than the previous things and they were waiting for it. Yeah, I, I honestly, though, it's just funny to me, like seeing the 7950 X3D benchmarks, all that really did... F- to me was make me excited for the 7800 X3D because that thing is going to be a killer CPU. But yeah, well, and actually I think I can pull up something here. So before X3D launched, even at its sale price of $600 on AMD.com, the 7950X was in stock. After the reviews came out, it sold out. Interesting. (laughs) That tells you people were just waiting for the X3D to launch, period. And now this uh, and is probably make- driving more demand for all of Zen 4 because people don't have to wait anymore to know what's going to do what. Because the because there are people on the fence of getting a 7950X that didn't want to potentially feel burned if the mm-hmm. 7950X 3D came out and was way better. Which, I mean, if you really like Factorio, I guess it's way better. It's, <laughs> or Flight Simulator, which I actually do think oh, yeah. matters. That one there. Uh, but at the end of the day... I think they looked around and they said, all right, it's better, but unless I really do have a reason to need the extra multi-threading, I should just wait for the 7800X3D. And if I don't really need an extra... Okay, in some games, it's freaking like 30 40% better, but if I don't need that, 7950X isn't bad at gaming, and now it's cheaper, and they all just bought that, apparently. And by the way, took the advice I said in my video, just get the (laughs) 7950X. Um, so yeah, th- that'd be my answer. Um, moving on, Tragaholic writes in and says, do you think the 7950X3D was in some ways a test run for AMD's upcoming big little approach? Some people, uh, some people think the software is a bit of a mess to get working, but maybe it's better now than when Zen 4C arrives on desktop or when Zen 5 arrives with big little in every single SKU. I think it's plausible. This is somewhat what's going on here. 
Um, but I also think people are really overlooking the fact that maybe AMD just genuinely thought this was the way to do it. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand this idea of like, even if they're wrong, maybe they didn't think it would happen. Because if you remove the outliers, like the one out of 10 games that has a scheduling issue now, which hopefully they can fix, it is way better and it gives you more multi-threading performance. I think AMD was genuine that they thought it was best to give you the best of both worlds. Um, I think presuming I, I, I've seen this on, in a few like videos and stuff, and I, I I think I disagree with the sentiment. Like, this is obviously assuming that they're able to get the scheduling correct for the uh, CCD, which I don't really see why they wouldn't be able to get that right uh, it, with a s- software update. But I, I don't think the product would have been better with two X3D uh, CCDs. Um, if they make it perfect, you're saying? Yeah, if they if they fix the issues present in it currently, which I, I don't see why they couldn't. I, I just think, yeah, ha- having the uh, two X3D cores, I think would have been worse than what they gave you. Um, because now you're just double compromising on uh, productivity. And if you have a 7950, presumably if that's at least part of why you should have it. Or because the only other option is you're, you just like to spend more money on your PC for no real reason. Right. And I, think I question, I question just how much better performance a 7950 X3D with two X3D CCDs would be than what they gave you. Well, if they can perfectly fix it, it should be minor. Although I will say there are some games now, Dan, using more than eight cores where you wonder if the intercommunications could have been significantly better between these CCDs and it That's actually true. would have made a difference. <laughs> so my opinion is, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. I do think what they should have done is tried to launch... it. Okay, maybe not six, maybe 5.9, because I know they have that in the labs. But let, try to get to a six gigahertz model, even if it only hits it in the blink of an eye. Give you a six gigahertz 7950 XT, and then a dual X3D model that's at like five gigahertz, 5.2 gigahertz, whatever. And that's what they should have done. They should have done both of those at the same time <laughs> and said, pick whichever one you want. And I think this even aids in the argument of people saying, well, if you want more multi threading, like, no one's buying a 16 core that doesn't want it. I would say, well, good AMD. So give them two things that can boost to six gigahertz and they'll get even more. I think people want one or the other. But at the same time, I see why AMD would have thought it made sense where they're like, no one's, like you're saying, Dan, no one's buying a 16 core that doesn't want good multi threading. So let's make sure we hurt the multi threading as little as possible. Dragaholic, I genuinely think that's what they wanted to do. I just think in hindsight, it seems it still seems like they probably shouldn't have done it. I, I think any configuration of the X3D uh, the for the 7950 is a little silly looking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think like you say, like a, a 7950 XT or whatever they want to call it that just hits 6 gigahertz. I think at that class of CPU is more desirable than having the uh, v cash i think so because i think you probably want both the multi-threading and the gaming uh, i think so <laughs> yeah well unless unless they reach a point where v cash is doesn't have any compromises really well the one yeah. thing you would say is it would use way less energy and so That's maybe true. they could have had the conqueror 
you know, small form factor gaming 16 core that is or or workstation that saves some energy costs you know i think that's all the more reason though i'm just coming up with more reasons why they should have given you the choice of choosing which one <laughs> yeah um qh freddy writes in again and says do you think amd and radeon's marketing has gotten worse since robert halleck left uh, which i remember robert halleck if you want to google him to remind yourself what he looks like and i have a link to his linkedin there though too so he left. Here's how I'm going to answer it, QH Freddy, because all too often I think people think this is an industry of only titans when these companies are hundreds or thousands of engineers. Robert or, or marketers, Herbert Halleck wasn't all marketing. Having said that, if the question is since he left, he left in September, I think AMD's marketing has been worse since September. If it's only because he left, I don't know. But from a literal answer, yeah, I think their marketing has been pretty shit with RDNA 3. Well, I'm trying to think. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking up. So the RDNA 3 unveiling event was would have been, what, then two months after he left. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if that event was largely not him. And right. <laughs> that event has definitely had a lot of issues. And once again, that could just be a coincidence. But yeah, that's those timelines do line up pretty well to me that uh, uh maybe they were waffling a bit because this was their first big unveiling event without uh their previous marketing head yeah yeah maybe and because again i just because i think it's gotten significantly better too since that event because they they realized how much good grace they lost with that event I think so as well. And I think you could all you could see easily here where there is a circumstance where if he was in charge you'd be like Guys, stop sugarcoating this. Say this. Be honest about this. And they were like, "Well, he's gone. Technically, we could claim this in this, this, this." And then you know, or or maybe that again, we really don't know until six more months pass and we see if anything improves with RDNA 3's Navi twenty thirty one. But I think there's a very good chance they're like, "Hey, we think we're gonna get there. Just say it." We got mm-hmm. three examples where it happens, and he may have stepped in and said, "No, let's err on the side of caution." Yeah. Um. Brad Medlin writes in and says, since Xeon W is really up against Threadripper Pro right now, do you think that Xeon HDT-ish rigs will become more popular and take some of that market share back from AMD? Will we wait to hear about Threadripper 7000? Yeah, I mean, like, I think they're going to go from selling zero HDT systems <laughs> to selling a notable amount. So, yeah, I think Intel is going to take a bit of market share this summer with HDT. Oh, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I I would choose Sapphire Rapids over just getting a Zen 2 or Zen 3 Pro system, I think. Oh, certainly yeah. Zen 2. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. that it, It's at a point where even if AMD is generally ahead of Intel and CPUs, I don't think they're more than a generation ahead of, at any given point. Um. All right. Final question. Zach writes in, hey, Tom, maybe a little off topic. But is ChatGPT a glorified Microsoft Clippy, or is it a turning point in the accessibility to AI in the mainstream? Well, I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm starting to think this is probably the biggest change in technology since the iPhone brought smartphones to the mainstream. I'm going to be honest, Dan. I, I, I cert- like AI is already dominating so many things, so it's not like I'm like some naysayer that AI is a big part of our future. Of mankind it's just it seems like it's not panning out exactly how people thought it would it's being used for things people probably didn't expect and you know i hear people say we'd have self-driving by 2015 then 2020 and 
Hmm. Doesn't seem like it really quite yet. So what would you, and I know there's going to be a p- bunch of people chiming and saying it's here already. And it's like, not until even a third of cars have it guys. Um, and that's when you'll really do the real world test to see if it's safe when a third of cars are using it. Um, so I, I, my eyes just kind of glaze over when anything with AI happens. Like you'll see this article chat beat GPT asks a guy to marry him. And it's like, isn't that amazing? And I'm like, it sounds like the AI didn't work correctly to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's a funny story. Uh, let me know when it solves world hunger or something, you know, like, is that useful? I, I could write an AI that acts like a goofy yeah. thing. That doesn't mean it's actually AI. Am I wrong? Is chat, is chat GPT impressive? Should I unglaze my eyes? Uh, for most of the applications I can think of, you know, I think it's able to f- generate kind of funny prompts. Like I, I have asked it a few times to like, uh, generate some prompt in the voice of Tony Soprano talking about pasta for some reason. And it did that. So that was funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, uh, that's funny. But I, I think for practical uses, I know for like programmer programmers have talked a ton about all of its practical uses. And I think it's kind of funny that of course, programmers pro are the first thing they accidentally program away is their own job. But <laughs> well, <laughs> And they're saying, well, I can get more done faster now, which is probably accurate, to be fair. But like when I tried to use it for practical things, like to see, like, I don't know, what can it tell me about this thing? Or like, can it give me a decent protocol? Cause that's uh, to do some like lab technique. Cause like that's kind of what they're promising it can do is mm. be almost a replacement for Google. What it generally gives me is stuff that on its face, looks good but then when you try to read it and like see what it's actually telling you it's mostly useless you know what i mean that's kind of my opinion is that it seems practically useless but easy to get headlines so far yeah that's a good way to put it where it's like hey i want uh, tell me how to do this technique and it'll give me like a bunch of a bullet point of things to do to learn that technique but all of them are either a little wrong or they don't actually tell me what I need to know to be able to do something. So then after looking this up, I would just have to go to Google anyways and find so- and find something written by an actual person anyways. So yeah. ChatGPT, in my opinion so far, is mostly just a middleman between Google and Google already exists. So I'm just going to keep using Google instead. Right. And like an example I think of for chat GPT is I know me and you both listen to the podcast. How did this get made? And out of nowhere, which I couldn't recommend that podcast enough. It's hilarious. Yeah. I'm assuming you heard this episode with chat GPT, Dan, where out of nowhere, Paul Shear brings in a script written by chat GPT yeah. and makes them all read their own parts. And it's funny and it's amusing and it's illuminating to see how chat GPT thinks, you know, Jason Mansukis would act versus June, <laughs> but it, there's no way like if that was actually a podcast, even with an AI generating their voice, that it would be more than just a funny musing. You wouldn't listen to two hours of the script that wrote as them, even in their own voices, because it was eventually kind of nonsense. Well, it, it's funny because it's like a reference to the thing where like, I don't know if you remember that, like the last weeks of like uh, the Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Like he did a segment where instead of having a script, he just 
did his facial expressions. And the joke wasn't that he's communicating information outside of like you understanding what the show is. The joke is his, his format was so done at, played out that you could tell what he was saying without him saying anything. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's what this, that's fundamentally what that chat. But GPT if he did that is. for every episode, you it would have watched the show. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that's my problem with chat GPT right now. It seems definitely like the best functioning type of AI to do the things people are talking about for sure. Uh, but I don't, it's kind of like you can see where something may happen. And I think really low level jobs are going to start getting replaced by this type of thing soon. But frankly, when I say low level jobs, I mean, how many issues of bad reporting have we come across in this episode? Yeah, I think we can use chat GPT to write articles about leaks because holy crap is the reporting that bad now. But okay, wait, then you're replacing like $10 an hour internet writers on blogs. You're not replacing any YouTube channel that's getting millions of views or or like major things because you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between, and people will say, well, chat GPT is like 80% to sounding like a real person. That last 20% humans, it turns out, are really good at telling the difference. And that extra 5% is what can make someone be twice as successful in writing. Yeah, and I think there is a, pro- a potential promising future for it a couple of years down the road that I'm not going to deny is I, I view as impossible. I don't think you it's can there see yet. it for like Red Dead Redemption side missions, and they won't be as good as normal side missions, but they might be as good as like Assassin's Creed Three's side missions writing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and a- another interesting thing, like to connect it to like my job with research, I know there are currently people working on, I believe, training the same model, except on like academic, like. Uh, articles using that as the source to train the model. And that could be really interesting being able to like just Google, I mean, just type into chat GPT. Has someone done this thing before instead of having to do hours of research and see if somebody has done that thing before? (laughs) Yeah. So again, you know, I, I I think it it has potential. Oh no, I, I certainly think it has potential. But again, I don't see it like just replacing all writers, all things that are being created, because I think when you look at like art or writing, honestly, most of what you're reading, well, you know, I'm speaking for myself. I don't read a lot of the stuff that feels like an AI wrote the article. I spend my time watching and reading stuff that I think there's ChatGPT hasn't shown any demonstration it's even remotely close to. But I do think there will be little things around the corners already that it might replace or something. Yeah, and I I believe like some programmers have said that they have already integrated it into their workflow. So it's already useful there, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, like you said, it's easy to look impressive on the surface. And then if you have to double check everything and you realize you can't use it for work, I think it's not as useful as the headlines claim yet. Not well, even yeah, remotely close. Because I think a, a, an immediate use case for it, it, like with programming, is instead of going on to like Stack Overflow and finding whatever pieces of code you need to do to Frankenstein something together, have ChatGPT generate something that's flawed and then fix the flaws in it or something like that. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, 
I'm glad we brought that up because I think that's something that people can't stop talking about <laughs> right now. And I thought it was a, a good thing to touch on. I think we actually, I, th- I think I actually like had a more sharpened opinion on it now after talking it out. Um, but besides that, that we went through the entire script. That's everything, folks. You know, just one more time, let me remind everybody, you know, please subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. Please ring the bell button. Please tell your friends about us. Comment. Uh, tell us what your pa- favorite parts of this uh, episode were, too. I'm actually kind of curious uh, which parts of this are good so we can plan further content. And if you want to help us plan it even more, you know, support us on Patreon for like two, four dollars a month. There's higher tiers as well. And you can directly interact with us on the discord and submit reader mails to me and guests as well. Got big guests coming up very soon. You'll be able to ask some questions if you support us and, you know, otherwise support our sponsors. Um, yeah. Links in the description. And uh, I think that's it. I'm starting to ramble and I think I need to go get dinner because I am. Uh, I'm starting to sound like chat GPT version of Tom. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe someday in the future we can write an episode and see if Chat GPT if Chat GPT can do an episode of Broken Silicon. I mean, Tom. let us know in the comments, especially on the Moore's Laws Dead Discord. I'm willing to do a die shrink that's written by Chat GPT just to well, see how silly it is. I don't think it, I don't think there's oh, we have a big enough footprint on the internet for it to generate an episode for us. But I'd like to see. <laughs> Because that would impress me. We will see it in. <laughs> um, but let us know. Maybe we'll do a, po- a small podcast on Die Shrink for the Patron podcast where we see how well it can impersonate us. Um, but anyways, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for joining me once again, Dan. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong, we love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. 
I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and Loose Ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier, with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Mahal Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, The Little Journey, Dan Rauner, Daniel High, Treadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Harrod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Joshua L. Herrera, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantham G. Spantham, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Hecker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, ZZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooden, Helen Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mads, Zuzu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Crow, Amy Will Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, AC, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Albuma, Narithiel, Matthew Andavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antix, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferriera, RB Racer, Keith Moore, Keita Abdul Kadar, Precision, DNA Tech, Radeon Technologies Group, Sean O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Ru- Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slush Batik, Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Nitra Zink, Mean Dean Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winsar, William Welpy, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Chin, Justin Bustle, Kelvin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shay, William Leak, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael Aaron, the Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Himsagun, Derek Lambie, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 